It just may be time to bust out that blue Kool-Aid yet again. Next on this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Looks deep for Anthony Waits for it. Yep. This is no time for that. In the pocket and a sack. Tim Jamison. Brady gets terrific. Throws it. And a touchdown night again. Schultz just before Brazil got him. And a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle. Caught by Collinger at the five on his feet. Touchdown, Michigan. play as a team and the old season is over you and I know it's gonna be Michigan again Michigan. You know what, man? I'm all in. Go blue. So forgive me. I just didn't have the guts to go through that again and make the big mess. So we just thought we'd relive it with the highlight of when I thought blue Kool-Aid was finally back on the menu three years ago. And now it is official. Go Blue, welcome to this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. I am a jubilant, restored, healed Steve Dace. As a Michigan fan, I was broken, beaten, damaged. It turned me into a nattering Martha of a Michigan fan. But now... I have witnessed the college football version of Lazarus come forth and Michigan did the thing winning the big 10 championship, the first outright championship for the program that has more championships than anybody else in big 10 history in 18 years. The first share of any big 10 championship for Michigan in 17 years, my teenage son, Noah and I looked at each other Saturday night We weren't even sure how to react. We both kind of wept a little when we beat Ohio State last week, but this was different. This was soak it all in, watch every last minute of all the post-game coverage. The Big Ten Championship has returned to its rightful home. 
And it did it coming off a 2-4 and four season when everything seemed as broken as could be. And Jim Harbaugh, give Jimmy credit. This is the most badass move I've ever seen from a college football coach, maybe from any coach. He bet on himself. He took his whooping. He took his public punishment, shaved his salary in half, reinvented his entire coaching staff, and went younger. Seven hires, none of them over the age of 45, and understanding that if it blows up and it doesn't, it doesn't work this year, he's not working here next year. And yet there he is with maize and blue confetti, the Big Ten championship trophy, even like leading cheers, talking to the media, coming across as likable. It's a new Jim Harbaugh, and as a result, it's a new Michigan football program as well. Uh, earlier today, Josh Gaddis winning the Broyles Award as the top assistant coach in college football. This was the assistant that they brought back from last year, and everybody was like, of all the guys you brought back, why him? And now that's a redemption story. This entire thing is a redemption story. It's incredible what has gone on with this team. Mike McDonald never called a defense in his life. And the first gig he gets is defensive coordinator for the winningest program in the history of college football. Sharon Moore never coached the offensive line ever. Took over for one of the best offensive line coaches in college football that a lot of us, myself included, were like, why are you firing that guy and bringing Josh Gaddis back? Well, lo and behold, Sharon Moore may be the coach of the Joe Moore winning offensive line by the time that this is over. Aiden Hutchinson. Invited to New York as a Heisman Trophy finalist, a rare accomplishment for a predominantly defensive player. And it's amazing what happens when we have a defense that lets the athletes off the edge, actually turns them loose instead of playing the anchor like Rashawn Gary did here for three years. It's just, I don't even know what to say to this. I mean, I saw Chris Ballas at the Wolverine tweet out that he had no idea for who to vote for MVP of the Big Ten championship game because no real, no one guy really stood out. There were like 20 guys that all made like a key player contribution. It wasn't really just one guy carrying the team. And I think that's been the calling card of this team all season long is that Aiden Hutchinson has been dominant, but he hasn't been alone. David Ojabo has been dominant on the other side, and that has not allowed teams to double and triple team him as much as they otherwise would have liked to. Uh, I thought the interior of Michigan's defensive line, going up against maybe the best center in college football, I thought Chris Hinton played maybe his best game of the season uh, against uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Guys stepping up at linebacker, guys stepping up in the secondary. You know, DJ Turner, if you looked at his pro football focus numbers, they're ridiculous. He wasn't even a starter at corner at the beginning of the season. Mike Barrett wasn't playing at all. He had lost his starting job. He's been a key contributor here the last few weeks. You look at the different combinations we've had to play in the offensive line because of injuries. I go back uh, to the to the Nebraska game. We played five different guards in that game. It's it's just been somebody new or a group of people every single week. Now, there have been constants, obviously. Aiden, Hassan Haskins, but Haskins just started kind of carrying the team the last few weeks here when Blake Corum had the high ankle sprain. I mean, a lot of people thought that he was, you know, uh, he was the second fiddle guy behind Blake Corum. And now, now he holds the record for the most touchdowns scored by a Michigan running back in one season ever. Stop and think about that. 
You know, you're not the winningest program in the history of college football because you've sucked at running back for 120 years. He's got more touchdowns now, Hassan does, than any of them, and he's got at least one more game, maybe two more to play. The amount of the wide receivers, no one star there, but four or five guys making a big run or a big catch every single game. Luke Schoonmacher has been every bit as good as Eric All at tight end the last few weeks. The depth here and the depth of contribution and major contribution has been absolutely extraordinary. But it all starts, it all starts with Jimmy. Now, he had earned all of the scrutiny and skepticism that was coming his way at this time of last year. But you know what that also means? That he has earned all of the Hosanna's helmet stickers and adulation coming his way this year. He looked at himself. He looked in the mirror. Realized, hey man, like Harry Truman said, the buck stops with me. The problem is me. I'm the problem here. I got to do something about this. He did. And the result is maybe the best football season Michigan has had in a quarter of a century. And it ain't over yet. And for so many of us that now remember what it was like to be a fan of Michigan football again, when it was fun, that, that we're afraid of losing our sons because they'd never seen any of this. Stop and think about the fact that the guys we're recruiting in high school this year to come to Michigan in the class of 2022, they were born. They were born the last time Michigan won a Big Ten championship. It just seemed like these days were never going to return. And then out of nowhere, they're back. And they're back with a vengeance. Speaking of which, this has kind of become like the 2016 revenge tour. You know, this is, this is the season we thought we were going to have in 2016. But then Michigan lost to Iowa and Ohio State late. Well, they've now beaten Ohio State and Iowa. Remember, remember the bowl game that Michigan played in that year at the end of the year? The Orange Bowl against Florida State. What bowl game is Michigan going back to this year? That's right, the Orange Bowl against Georgia. It's just, it's not only been a great season. It's been a special one. The kind of season that that puts a culture in place that allows this to be emulated in years gone by. Braden McGregor may never be as great as Aiden Hutchinson and off the edge. But now he knows, though, the work ethic it will take to try to be. J.J. McCarthy, his time is coming at quarterback. But you have to believe he's learned an awful lot from Cade McNamara this year, watching that. Donovan Edwards, watching the work and the work ethic of a Hassan Haskins. And right on down the line, it goes. There's so much talent in this program in the youngest two classes. And now, just like it used to be here at Michigan when we were growing up and before our children had lost faith, now the young guys watch how the upperclassmen do it and realize, yeah, yeah, if I want to be where they are here in two, three, or four years, that's what I have to do. That's how you build a culture That's how you build a program. That's how you're leaders and best and champions of the West again. 
Well, the calendar is about to turn to basketball season. And if you like sports handicapping and you like Michigan podcast, a great way to marry those two is to support us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. College basketball last year, we were 59 games over 500. We hit 56% of the games in the NCAA tournament. We correctly advised you to take Baylor at 6-1 to one to win the NCAA tournament, which they did. We had a very good college basketball season last year, especially down the stretch, and we're loaded for bear now for the new season as well. And yes, we'll continue on with our football handicapping as well. So make sure you support us just $5 a month. Who knows? It might win you some money when you go to patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. Time now for the 10-minute war, and I think now we have permission for it to be a war. Again, our good friend, the one and only reasonable Bucknut, at least the only one we've encountered, who also himself has a fantastic channel here on YouTube, the voice of college football, our good buddy, Mark Rogers. Yes, he's an Ohio State fan, but we all have our crosses to bear. How are you, Mark? I've got a cross to bear now. I've got to do this segment every week with you after a loss. So it's not going to be made good now for 50 weeks. I also want to know who's given you permission now to make it a rivalry again. You're, you're the one who deemed it not a rivalry until Michigan proved otherwise. And it has done so. So by the way, Mark, I don't want to rub it in, but it has been 739 days since Ohio state last beat Michigan in football. Anyway, Mark, I'm sorry. I won't. I won't keep doing stuff like that. All right. Yes. Technically, we know what would have happened last year. All right, but it didn't happen. So the math continues. All right. So Mark, Michigan, Big Ten champions. Let's take off the Buckeye hat now and put on the voice of college football hat here. Michigan, Big Ten champions. I mean, let's start from the beginning. How how improbable this was. Uh, I mean, you know, Michigan's season win total was seven and a half. That's the lowest it had been since Rich Rod. Uh, The ESPN FBI had given Michigan a 2% chance uh, to win the Big Ten championship heading into the season. Uh, I think Michigan uh, started off like at 15 to 1 to win the Big Ten. It was still 10 to 1 as recently as two, three weeks ago. And in fact, some of the Michigan players were chanting at the media as they came off the field at Lucas Oil Stadium last Saturday night, 2%, 2%, 2%, okay? So uh, Michigan winning Big Ten championships should not be, um, you know, something of like, wow, we're shocked. I mean, they have won more than anybody else. This team, though, doing it, given where the program was at, I think this is one of the most shocking Big Ten championships in recent memory, but... You put it in perspective for us, Mark. What say you? It's shocking because of the opponent included, Ohio State. But just looking at and focusing on the Michigan aspect of this, uh, to me, the team up until the Ohio State game was playing at a 2016-2018 performance level. Uh, which is very good, very high. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, then they had to deal with Ohio State at the end of the year, and it didn't turn out well. Um, there was a decision made by the football program, the administration, Jim Harbaugh himself, with a with a twisted arm behind his back, to make some bold moves, uh, or this program could have continued to be in that eight or nine win classification 
for who knows how long. And um, those those moves could have went the wrong way. We certainly had a back and forth ourselves and we're pretty much, I believe, on the same page regarding our skepticism of the, not necessarily the hires, but the positions in which they were placed, the roles in which these right. um, new coaches were placed. One embattled uh, coordinator who hadn't proved he could coordinate an offense, a guy who had never coordinated a defense, an offensive line coach who replaced one of the best in the business and never coached the position. You mean stuff like that, for example. Yes. Absolutely that. I guess I should have relied more on my experience in the industry I was in is where you you make evaluations on people. And sure, you want people to be properly placed, but especially the higher you get within an organization, I think you go with the quality people. You go with the quality hires and they will usually figure it out and they will usually rise to the top rather than, okay, we got this 30-year veteran. They're pretty marginal, but they've been doing this for 30 years. They've been doing it mediocre for 30 years, but we're going to hire them because of all that experience. No, you, you go with people and you go with um, their ability just to, to learn on the, on the run and figure it out and excel. And um, you can't put a tangible metric on chemistry, which is a pretty amazing thing that Jim Harbaugh somehow figured out Mm -hmm. or the combination of he and Aiden Hutchinson. And I don't want to discount other leaders on the, on the team, but then uh, really must've clicked with this coaching staff. And uh, sometimes when you get pressed against the wall, back against the wall in life, uh, Quality people respond, and they did in a big way. Was there a moment where you began to contemplate, okay, this, not just clearly last year, throw all that out, and that killed me in handicapping this year more than anything else, and I really didn't figure that out until we got into November. Way too much of my power ratings and assessments were built off of stuff that happened last year. And the teams that were good last year and went to the playoff, that you, you you count that. But basically for everybody else, just that year just should not, I didn't figure this out till November, that shouldn't factor into anything we think about these teams, right? So it's not just, okay, the program's not a dumpster fire like it was a year ago. But was there a moment in particular when you thought, hmm, not only is this thing restored uh, as, as no longer a dumpster fire, and last year was a one-off, but... Maybe this team has something his previous teams did not. So I didn't really think that the opponents told us much for a long, long time, except for that trip to Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I I felt as though, okay, this is significant. Wisconsin can really play defense, and they figured out a way to overcome the stalemate that they would find in the running game there. And they opened it up, they took some risks, and they – beat Wisconsin offensively 38 points on the board a different way on the road so so that was one in particular and in Wisconsin we both know we're really struggling at that point but I thought that Wisconsin would turn out to be a good team and really I believe they should have represented the West not that they earned it but I believe that they are the best team in the Western Division so they beat a good Wisconsin team and and put points on a top five defense in the nation. So that was from the standpoint of seeing it play out on the field. Uh, In terms of an overall narrative, what I am am most impressed by, and then I had to see it come to fruition against Ohio State in particular, was this identity on offense where 
Harbaugh was able to go back to his roots, be old school, and get out of this offense what he wanted, which was this hard-nosed offensive line-leaning Hassan Haskins slam the defense over and over and over and make it pay off in the fourth quarter, but at the same time be able to complement that with explosive plays in the passing game and efficiency in the passing game and where they were able to mold an identity but still have it be not outdated. I I think that I was in in total impressed most by that. I think that's a good observation. I mean, pre-snap, it looks like a new offense, a new style offense. Post-snap, it looks like Jim Harbaugh's offense. They they figured out that, you know, this tension, why are we fighting? Because it's even more effective to run this physical power stuff when the, when when formationally we don't permit teams to put eight or nine in the box. We're not running into tight walls all the time. We're we're making them defend us horizontally and then we're coming at you uh with with a with a with the power approach, which provides more of an opening, less opportunities for our guys carrying the football to get hit at the, you know, behind the, the line or uh, before they get to the second level. They figured that out. It'll be fascinating to see. Now, there's not a lot of teams in college football that can recruit the ability to do that. That's why a lot of programs went to spread offenses because they, they couldn't come up with offensive lines capable of moving lines of scrimmages like that. But they're still, you know, you know, the 30, 40 programs in the country that can either recruit or develop that way. I wonder, like next year at Wisconsin, do we see Wisconsin come out with really the same offense, but just formationally it looks a lot different so that you can't get away with stacking the box pre-snap against them? You know, th- so I wonder now if Michigan suddenly looks, particularly with Gaddis getting the Broyles Award today, so that kind of gives him a stamp of, of, of approval. I wonder if coaches are going to come to Michigan now for the spring to get some tips on offensive innovation, and would you have not been a joke in the Paul Feinbaum show for suggesting that even six weeks ago, right? But but here we are uh, along the lines of, of what you're talking about with that. And I, I, I agree. Here's what it was for me. The win at Penn State and the way that they did it. That that, even though I, I agree with you about the win at Wisconsin, that just showed me that okay, our program's not a dumpster fire, but I've I, we've even won big games in September before. I wanted to see what happened on the road in November. That's what I needed to see, especially after losing the game against Sparty, the way that we did. And I was as demoralized as I've ever been because that looked like that looked like a, a nut punch. That looked like just as I was beginning to buy in. Nope, here we go again, right? When, when we won at Penn State, but the way that we did it, in that we had to, it wasn't fluky. They, they weren't minus three in turnovers or something. We had to make a throw. We had to make a catch. We had to make a play. I mean, think about it, Mark. You're a college football historian every bit as much, if not more, than I am. When was Michigan's last Henny to Braylon in the thir- in triple overtime? Henny to Mario Manningham on the last play to beat undefeated Penn State. I mean, when was the last time that Michigan had the guy that made the play? That is Charles Woodson going to be too tired to strike the pose in a punt return? You know what I'm saying? Michigan has not had that in a, in a marquee game in many, many years. All right, and even Denard Robinson, who basically kept the program together with bail wire, but but he was so outmanned. By, in, in a lot of these marquee games, he didn't get the chance to make plays like that. So in these marquee games, when was the last time that the guy wearing the winged helmet made the play, right? 
It doesn't happen often. I, the only time I can think of in the Harbaugh era was, you know, I can Jordan Lewis making that pick against Wisconsin, Donovan Peoples-Jones making that catch against Michigan State, but that's twice in seven years. And I think that's what was different now is now we're the ones making that play. We're the ones doing we, – we got the stop on fourth and two. We hadn't done that yet. And I think that's when I realized, okay – now it's not just, okay, the culture's turned around and that's good. We're not a dumpster fire. We're a solid program again. But if we're now going to be the guys that make the highlight plays and the headline plays when it matters the most, that is something we've not seen a lot from Michigan football in many years and not a lot even in the Harbaugh years when he was winning a lot of games, Mark. Yeah, the Michigan State game, that proved to me, especially with the way it transpired and really believing that Michigan was the better team when the two teams walked off the field, that was at the moment that I thought, okay, this this is legitimately a good team, but maybe they're still snake bitten. Maybe the result is not going to follow. Maybe they're going to continue to find a way to lose against Sparty, and then they're going to lose to Ohio State in a month from now. But I know that they're a good team. I know that they're a legit top eight or ten team in the country. Um so, so, yeah, that that's the it, it really took until uh, shoot pushing around the Buckeyes for three hours, uh, where mm-hmm. I had to be completely convinced of championship stock, and obviously we had to see it play out against that team. Uh, I was pretty convinced that it was the second best team in the conference going into that game, but to we we know what that gap has been for the last. 10 or 15 years, most of the last 10 or 15 years. So we had to see it. And in in the fashion in which it was brutally emphasized emphatically against uh, that team was um, the, the way Jim Harbaugh wanted to do it. It was, it was, it was uh, apropos. So tell me what you think it means. We're top 10 in the nation in defense. And of course, we have the two, you know, the, nobody has two edge guys on one team like we do. I would say Aiden is maybe a, a notch below a Chase Young, but with, but David, uh, in terms of an individual impact player, but David Ojabo on the other side is a compliment. I mean, that's just nuts to have that guy with that guy, you know? But offensively, Michigan led the Nate, ends up now uh, leading the nation most touchdown plays or, or, or plays of 50 yards or more. We aren't going to probably have a skill position player. Um, yeah, we actually passed you guys after the Iowa game this week. Michigan's actually number one in plays of, of 50 yards or more in college football. Uh, that's courtesy of Pat Forty over at Yahoo. Think about that. Now think about the, with with look who our quarterback is. Started he was third string quarterback at the start of last camp. We got a five star on the bench. He barely throws the ball. Uh, we haven't had a skill position player taken in the first round of the draft since 2005 with Braylon Edwards. Now, I think Hassan Haskins is going to play a long time in the NFL with his durability, ability to catch, pass block. He's a three-down back. But I also don't think he's a guy that goes runs a 3-1-2 cone drill at the combine and gets picked in the first round, right? So we may not have a first-round skill player, the guy who entered the 2020 season third string at quarterback, and it's, it's frankly, if we're being honest, probably just placeholding the position for J.J. McCarthy. And yet that team on offense led the nation in plays uh, of, t- of 50 yards or more. And, and doesn't even play call. The, to do that a, specifically. In a way, in a way yes. that should produce that statistic. Yes, yes correct. We're not, we, we, we scheme guys open when we think we have to to make the defense honest, but we don't go into a game trying to Lincoln Riley the sucker. We're not trying to do that, right? So, yeah. 
So what do you think that means for this team moving forward into the college football playoffs? Well, I think it means for a crazy, amazing matchup argument debate that we will have for the next three weeks. Because when I look at Georgia and Michigan, and I'm guessing when they look at each other now on tape, there's a little seeing... bit like that Spider-Man gif where they point fingers at each other, right? Yes. Yeah. They are, they are the same. They got a five-star quarterback so on the bench too. They're playing a walk on, right? It's, it's, it is similar. Yes. It's similar in so many ways. Uh, they don't have prolific passing numbers on the outside, but uh, these Georgia receivers are, you know, they were five-star, four-star guys. Mm -hmm. uh, they have that tight end that's uh, that you talked about when we got together the Brooke other Bowers. day. On my yeah, show. that's what I'm concerned about. If there's a, and if there's anything be. that's a, when I say we don't have a weakness, I'm not saying we're elite everywhere, but we don't really have a place. That if you're, that's why we're in the playoff. Most teams that make the playoff don't really have a position where you're like, oh yeah, we attack those guys all day long, right? For us, if we have an area matchup-wise where I am concerned, it's our linebackers having to cover that tight end, Brick Bowers. I am concerned about that. We have fast linebackers, but they are not necessarily the quickest in space, and so I am concerned about that matchup. Steve, it's going to be interesting to see what Georgia's tact is on the outside with the two tackles taking on your two ends mm -hmm. because Ohio State, this made no sense to me. So Ohio State, the only plays that they're making, those three wide receivers, as we've discussed, kept them in the game. Mm -hmm. Okay, they're making all the catches. Ohio State is a tremendous future NFL tight end in Jeremy Ruckert, right. but that was not his day to catch eight passes. I think he caught one ball for two yards. Keep him in mm -hmm. to block Hutchinson. <laughs> help help the tackle out to, to leave those tackles exposed. I know they're going to play in the NFL, but it's one of the two positions on the field where one position has such a disadvantage against another position, meaning tackle blocking an elite end. And Michigan has two of them, and one of them is so good he's going to New York when almost never a defensive player is able to to make that trip. That's how good he is. I want to see if Georgia's that stubborn. Some of Kirby Smart's other decisions leads me to believe that he thinks, okay, well, we've got two NFL tackles as well, and that happened uh, in the Big Ten. We're different. We're going to be able to block those two, where he should probably be, be strategizing otherwise. Well, next time we have you on, we will go with a much uh, in, more in-depth breakdown. It actually will be our preview uh, of the Orange Bowl on New Year's Eve, and we'll get more of your thoughts on how you think these teams match up and what your prediction is. The Bulldogs are opened up at about a touchdown favorite. I think it was seven. I don't know if the, the line has moved one way or the other since then. Do you know? Has it gone up since then? I don't know, Steve, but I, I appreciate the, the the preview because you usually hit me with this prediction Um Notice no, I'm on, giving on you a heads up this I'm always, time. I'm always the guys. I'm the guy <laughs> usually making predictions at 10 in the morning on Saturday. So, <laughs> well, we will do that next time we talk. We'll preview the Orange Bowl and get a breakdown. We'll look at the individual matchups, and I think it's from a from a an emotional standpoint. You know, the Georgia team has to be very motivated to get their their brand and their manhood back after what Alabama just did to them. On the other hand, Michigan's going to be told for the next three weeks that they're you know they can't match up uh, and uh, that they're the underdog in the game. I, I I think both coaches actually like the situation their teams are in from a motivational standpoint, you know, which is you don't normally see that, but I think both coaches kind of do. Uh, Steve, for one of the few times in recent years, 
I will be more secure and more guaranteed of where Michigan's at mentally, emotionally. Hmm. Uh, I know where they are. Georgia, I, I agree with you. They, they should be fine. They should just be flat out motivated. They know how good they are. But at the same time, maybe they took this this hit against Alabama and they're suddenly could they be could could this be a great wake up call? Kirby Smart is selling it as a great wake up call that we were too comfortable. Boom, we got slapped in the face. Okay, we're ready to roll. Or it could be a knock on the confidence, and they could just think, "Hey, we're human, and uh, this is really the first really good team we've played this year." And they knocked us around by 17 points, and they could uh, have be, be coming into this game lacking a little confidence. Real quick, for let you go. Do you think the College Football Committee got it right, both in terms of the four teams and the way they're seated? I hate to say it, but uh, they did. They had no other choices. Uh, those aren't necessarily the four best teams in the country. And and I think it's, if we're talking long-term national championship, of course, going for the two-game stretch for Michigan, it's unfortunate that they've got to go through the two best teams as opposed to grabbing that number one seed. I think that would be huge in trying, and of course, avoiding one of those. But the committee got it right. Uh, I would just like to see Cincinnati play a legitimate schedule. Uh, the second best team that they played in the FPI ranked at number 41, Houston, mm. and that in no way compares to the other three. Good stuff as always, my friend. Always good to see you. Thank you for joining us. All right. Take care. Merry Christmas. Appreciate it, Steve. Merry Christmas. You bet. This week's Twitter poll results, we asked you, is this the greatest Michigan football season since the 1997 National Championship? 61.2% of you said yes. 38.8% of you said hell yes. Those were your only two options, courtesy of moi. Our feedback of the week comes from Charles Pooley, who says, tired of waiting for championships in your Twitter header, needs updated. I agree, Charles. That's why I updated it after reading your tweets, all right? <laughs> after you tweeted that to me, I'm like, crap, man, you're right. I do need to update that. So, yes, I have updated my Twitter bio to confirm, as I did here at the top of this show, that Blue Kool-Aid is gloriously back on the menu. I am so happy, so happy to be back on the Maize and Blue Drip. Thank you. That'll do it for this week's episode. We are off next week, and then we'll be back the following week with a full preview of the Orange Bowl against the Georgia Bulldogs and more here on Michigan Podcast. Until then, please remember to check us out on Twitter at Michigan Podcast. You'll keep up to date on everything we think about the maize and blue in between episodes. You can also please, and we would ask you to, if you wouldn't mind, like, rate, subscribe, five-star review, share, whichever applies, and however you access us, whether it's watching it right here on YouTube or listening there on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, please help us to find more Michigan fans just like you, especially now that we're reunited and it feels so good. Enjoy the Kool-Aid. I'll be drinking even more of it here until I see you again. And until then, I'm Steve Dace. Go Blue.